started on a journey a few weeks ago through the Beatitudes with a basic question that kind of is the underlying uh, premise of the series that we're studying. And I think the basic question is, is what are you building your life upon? What, what are you building your foundation? Uh, what kind of foundation are, are you standing upon? And in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the very, very end, chapter 7, Jesus comes and says, listen, you have a choice. You either build life upon the rock, a firm foundation that will stand when the test of time comes, when the difficulties of life come, you build your life upon a rock. He says, or you have a choice, build your life upon the sand. And he says, listen, you have the choice to do that, but whenever these storms of life come, if your life is built upon the sand, it will surely come crashing down. But if your life is built upon a rock with a firm foundation, you'll be able to stand when these tests come. That's starting with the very end of this great sermon that Jesus preached known as the Sermon on the Mount. We go back to the very beginning of that, and what we've said is we want to help our congregation. We want to help you. We want to help the body of Centerpoint. We want to help people know how to win. How do we win in this, this game of life? How do we win when difficulties come? How do we win when we hear the words cancer? How, how do we win when we hear lost the job? How do we win when we dealing with parenting issues or with marriage issues or just relational challenges that maybe we face every single day? How do we do that? The premise, the foundation is that we win when we learn how to listen to God's Word, learn God's Word, and then live out God's Word. And so in this series that we're in, this journey that we're on, we want to teach the congregation, we want to teach you and help you learn how to listen, learn, and live out God's Word. Because what Jesus said is, when you learn how to listen, learn, and live out God's Word, you're building your life upon a, saint, upon a rock. But if you say, ah, I'm not going to do it according to God's Word, I'm just going to do life on my own, and whatever my own thinking is, and whatever this world teaches, then you're building your life upon the sand. And so the goal is that we would listen, learn, and live out God's Word, and we begin right in the very beginning with the Beatitudes as Jesus taught. Look at Matthew chapter 5 with me, and let's just review where we've been the last few weeks. Listening to the Word of God. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus begins this great message, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, with this whole idea of these beatitudes, these blessings. 
And so we started diving into them a few weeks ago and just trying to break them down and trying to dig in and understand and learn what are they saying, what are they teaching us. And so Kyle's covered the last two weeks while I've been out of town. And today we jump into verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I think when Jesus started teaching the Jewish culture is gathering around because there's his disciples and there have been others in the crowd and he stands up and says to this Jewish audience, blessed are the meek. I think it would have been, they would have been taken back by them. That would have been against their culture and against their understanding of how they live out their religiosity or their religion or their belief in any kind of God. Jesus called for a standard of living that was actually foreign to them. They've been actually swimming against the culture. They knew how to be spiritually proud. They knew how to be spiritually self-sufficient and were good at following external forms of religion. If, if we have to be in, be in worship, we're in worship many times, we follow all the laws. And by doing all the laws and all the things that we do externally, they looked at that and said, hey, we're doing good. They thought they could survive spiritually through their own strength, through their own wisdom, and through their own resources. And they thought, as long as we're doing that kind of stuff, then we're good. And I think they were probably more expecting a, a Messiah, a Savior to come, that would basically come along and commend them for their spiritual lives, for their wonderful spirituality, and say, oh, you are doing so good, you are keeping all the laws and all the holidays and all the Sabbaths, and you are doing so well, pat you on the back, I am so pleased with you, now let's rush you into the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Jesus did, though. Jesus came and said, blessed are the meek. And in their mind, that's like smacking him in the face and saying, wait a minute, we've done all this good stuff. Now, Jesus, now you're telling me we'll be meek. And he's saying, yeah, meekness are those who inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we listen to the scripture, and now let's consider trying to learn what Jesus is teaching here. See, meekness is different from being broken or poor in spirit. And meekness does not mean weakness. We've got to understand that. In our culture today, we think meek means I have to be weak. And that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was not saying, be the doormat and let everybody walk all over you. Look at meekness here. It's different from this poor in spirit. See, brokenness of spirit is negative in, the, in that it focuses on man's sinfulness and a result is mourning, as we dealt with a few weeks ago. And then meekness is positive in that it focuses on God's holiness and man's response to that holiness. But these two are two sides of the same idea, so to speak. They're like one side of the coin and the other side of the coin. We are to be poor in spirit because we are sinners and meek because God is holy in comparison to us. And so we should be poor in spirit, broken, going, I'm a sinner, I want to mourn over my sin. But we should also be meek, saying, well, God's holy, and because of his holiness, I choose meekness and follow an example of Christ. There's a clear progression of thought here in the Beatitudes, and we cannot miss it. Jesus didn't get up and just try to choose major areas and say, well, let me tell you to, to, to be this way, and let me tell you to be that way, and let me tell you to be this way. There's actually a building that's going on here. Verse, verse uh, 3, first, we sense our own sinfulness. Verse 4, that we, after we sense our own sin, sinfulness, it drives us to mourning. And verse 5, then focus on God's holiness, which then brings out meekness. And verse 6, which we go, get into next week, should then turn to produce hunger for righteousness. And so there's this building or this progression that Jesus actually brings in his message. Our world has a trouble with this thought process. People associate happiness for success. 
power, confidence, conquest. But Jesus' kingdom is made up of those who are, are meek. And again, meek but not weak. What is meekness? I, I see three parts or, or ingredients to define this whole word of, of meekness. One is gentleness. In the original language, the word meek meant mild, gentle, and soft. A meek person is gentle, tender-hearted, patient, submissive. The Greeks actually used the word to describe a soothing medicine, a gentle breeze, or a domesticated cult. You actually think about it. Watch the horses run yesterday. Meekness would describe those horses because they are powerful animals, but they're under control. What is meekness? It's like being like Jesus, another part of the ingredient. 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul speaks of meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And Matthew 21.5, speaking of Jesus, says your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt and full of a donkey. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a low-class transportation animal. He didn't ride in a chariot. He didn't ride in with an entourage of people. He didn't ride in being lifted up and carried. Jesus, in a meek and humble way, sits on a donkey. The lowliest of animals. Another ingredient is this power under control. Meekness is a byproduct of humbling oneself before God. It, it's something that when we put ourselves in submission under God, then we uh, allow power or, or strength in us to get under control by God. It's the taming of a lion and not the, the killing of it. Quite honestly, all of us have this inner rage or this inner battle called the sinful nature that we battle with, and meekness is the taming of that sinful battle or, or that raging lion. And in Ephesians 4.26, it says, In your anger do not sin. The only legitimate anger of right, is righteous anger. That means anger must be under control, expressed for the, right, for the right reasons at the right time. We're never be angry because of personal offense. But what do we do? We let the lion kind of get out of control. Or Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. This idea of meekness is the idea of self-control. Yet we have power, but it's under control underneath a God, God divine, God's will control, where we will submit to God's way and say, that's the control I want in my life. Proverbs 16, 32 says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes the city. This whole idea of meekness is, yeah, you may have power, you may have strength, but is it under the control and the guidance, the wisdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I, I think we see this illustrated throughout Scripture. There's several examples, but just to consider a few, Joseph. Maybe you remember his account. Joseph's brothers hated him because he was their father's favorite child. They sold him into slavery, and he was taken into Egypt. Years later, a famine forced Joseph's brother to travel to Egypt to buy grain. But by that time, Joseph had gotten out of slavery, and he actually rose to a government level that would be considered like prime minister. He was second in charge only to Pharaoh himself. And so here now Joseph has risen up, and he was in charge of all the grain and all the supplies that his brothers needed. And so in this famine, his brothers come to him and say, hey, we need food. And they don't realize that they're actually talking to their brother some years later, and they need supplies. And what could Joseph do? Here's a man now in a position of power. He could have looked at them and said, hey, you're my brothers who sold me into slavery. He could have every single one of them arrested and put them into jail or into slavery. He could have said, no, I'm not giving you anything. You guys were evil and mean to me, and now I'm getting you back. Because now I'm in charge and I have power and you don't have power. 
He didn't choose those routes. What Joseph did is meekness came about. He was underneath the authority of God and he, and he submitted his life to the will of God. And what did he do? He supplied them with their food and with their grain and with their needs that they had. He took care of their needs. He chose meekness. He noticed his younger brother Benjamin wasn't there. He longed to see him. He, he was a mighty man, but he chose meekness. He kept his power under control. I, I think of another example is David. And actually, when you look at the life of David, you probably can find several examples, but one that jumps off the pages at me is his meekness towards Saul. We see the account or the story in 1 Samuel, chapters 24 through 26, detail how King Saul chased David in order to kill him. King Saul wanted to eliminate David. Saul hated him because he knew God had anointed David to be the next king and to take over Israel. And so Saul has this hating, and then on top of that, Saul's son, Jonathan, loved David. And so Saul had this jealousy inside of him towards David, and he wanted to kill David and eliminate David and get him out of the way so he can't take over as king. One occasion during the chase, David had the opportunity to kill Saul when he was asleep. David chose not to. Another opportunity, another occasion, he could have killed Saul when he was hidden in a cave. David, again, he chose not to. Because even though David was the anointed king, he didn't kill Saul. Why? Because he was submissive with God's plan and God's will. And what did he do? He chose meekness, which was choosing to have power under control. Here's a man who has a lot of power, but he put it under control. I think God works only with those who are subject to him. God works with those who are submissive to him. God works with those who says, I'm not in control. Lord, you're in control. And Lord, what you want, that's an attitude of meekness. God, what do you want in my life? God, what do you want in this situation? God, what do you want in my marriage? God, what do you want in my work situation? God, what is your desire? That's the heart of meekness. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.3, Paul said, we have no confidence in flesh. In other words, he says, my belief is not in me and my strength and in my power and what I can do as our world will teach us. But Paul says in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul chose meekness. He put no confidence in himself and had great confidence in Christ. That's an example of meekness. And then, of course, there's Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 21 says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Christ never did anything wrong. Fully human, but chose to submit himself to the will of his Father God. And all the accusations against him in the trials prior to his crucifixion come out, they're all false accusations. He was punished, he was abused, he was mocked without justification. And who had power? I mean, Jesus had the power of God inside of him. He could have rose up and said, I'm going to stop all this. But 1 Peter 2.23 says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats and said he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus never defended himself. He never stood up and said, hey, this is what it all is, and, and you guys are all wrong. His father's temple was desecrated. He twice, though, made a whip and had righteous anger against those who were desecrating the temple. He condemned the hypocritical religious leaders of Israel, fought, fiercely proclaimed divine judgment of unrepentant sinners, yet the Bible says he was meek. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not impotence, but power under control. And he stood up for things that were not of God. 
But if it was an offense towards him or a hurt towards him, he backed down. After you've acknowledged your sin and mourned over it, God, God's holiness and willing to die, defend his holy name. That's what Jesus did. He was willing to die to defend the holy name of God. Many who heard Jesus were not meek. They spent much of their time, actually, defending their personal holiness, defending their own hypocrisy. They lashed out at anyone who offended them because their power was out of control. If we're going to walk in Christ, meekness is something that we strive towards as we walk with Christ. As we walk with Him, our, our prayer and our desire should be, Lord, I, I want the meekness that you desire inside of me. We listen to the Word, we, we learn the Word, and then we, we live out the Word. There's some results of meekness right here in Scripture. It says, blessed are the, are the meek. If you're meek, you'll be happy. And now we think of that term happy. We think of this joyful, worldly happiness that's circumstantial, that things are going good and so I'm happy, things are going bad, I'm not happy. But th this is not about that kind of happiness. This is about a true lasting joy. This is a contentment that, that Paul talks about. That I'm content no matter the circumstances that I'm in, that I'm walking in Christ and I can choose meekness and that meekness will then will bring happiness to me. And then we inherit the earth. Another result is meekness, inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth is what the scripture says. And long before God promised Israel the land of Palestine, he gave man the earth. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. In the original, right in the very beginning, Genesis, the earth was given to mankind. According to Matthew 5, 5, when you become a believer, you enter the kingdom and receive the original inheritance of dominion over the earth that was given to Adam and Eve. Now through the years, and because of sin, and because of the battle between evil and good, between the battle of Satan and, and God, the earth has been taken away from mankind as God originally planned. But ultimately, believers will possess the earth. They are the meek who will reign on the earth with the Lord Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom, as Revelation 20 talks about. One day this earth will be restored to God's original plan and God's original purpose. And one day those who are in Christ will rule over this earth. And we will have this earth as ours. A day is coming when Christians will partake with Israel in the kingdom. The Lord will take the earth away from the wicked and give it back to his original plan. Let me talk a little bit why meekness is necessary. If we're going to live it out, we have to understand why it's necessary. I think it's necessary for salvation. See, only the meek will be saved. Psalm 149.4 says, The Lord will beautify the meek with salvation. A person who doesn't come to God with a broken spirit, mourning over his sin and recognize God's holiness, cannot be saved. It's impossible to come to salvation in Jesus until you recognize, I'm a sinner. Until you repent of your sin and say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. It's impossible. It's impossible to come until you're willing to confess Jesus as your Savior. Enter the waters of baptism. That takes meekness. That takes setting aside my wants and my desires and saying, I'll do things God's way. And meekness is necessary because I think it's commanded. You can see it in several places throughout Scripture. But Zephaniah 2.3, I love it, it, says, seek meekness. Seek meekness. It's something that we should desire, something we should pursue. It's necessary for receiving God's word. James 1.21 says, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. A person who doesn't have a humble spirit cannot receive this. Talking about listening to the word of God. If you are reading this and just trying to listen, if there's no meekness, you're not going to say, hey, I want to learn more. I want to try to live it out. 
Matter of fact, it takes meekness to say, I want to engage with God's Word throughout the week and not make it just a Sunday thing. It takes meekness to say, you know what, if I understand that the firm foundation is built upon a life that is balanced by God's Word, that this is the filter for my living, it takes meekness to make this part of your life. It's necessary for receiving God's Word. It's necessary for effective witnessing. You cannot witness effectively if you're filled with pride. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready in order to give an answer. But it takes meekness, takes humbleness to say, you know what, let me give you an answer, but not in a way that's prideful, not in a way that's puffed up, in a way that is God-honoring, in a way that is, that is sharing somebody else, here's the hope that I have and here's why I follow Jesus Christ as my Savior. Meekness is necessary because it gives God glory. 1 Peter 3 says not to adorn yourself externally if you want to glorify God, rather adorn yourself with a meek and quiet spirit. And see, Jesus comes right at the Jews and says, meekness is part of my kingdom. Why? Because they were all concerned about the outward look. Well, Jesus is concerned about what's going on inside the heart. I, I think there's a test we can kind of give ourselves. Because this is one of those things, well, how do I know if I'm a meek person? I think most of us would say, yeah, I'm meek. How can we really know that? Let's consider a few points. How can I know if I'm meek? One, you'll get angry only when God is dishonored. What kind of things make you mad? You watch the news, you're on the internet, you hear stories about things going on in this world. Do things that dishonor God, do they bother you? Does it make you mad? Do you want to stand up for things that dishonor God? Or are things that make you mad are just things that personally offend you? If things that are just making you mad are things that personally offend you and they don't really have anything to do with Scripture, then maybe meekness is a challenge area for you to be thinking about and praying about. How can I know if I'm meek? You respond humbly and obediently to God's word. You'll respond to it. You'll live it out. When you read it, when you listen to it, when you, when you learn it, then you respond and say, you know what? I'm going to put it into practice. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. You know that meekness is growing inside of you and that you are practicing meekness. If you are really putting a true effort forward to say, you know what? I, I want to be obedient to God's word. And, and I'm striving towards those efforts. I'm not saying you have it perfect because none of us will have that perfect. But that we are really striving and saying, as I understand God's word, as I know God's word, then I'm going to humbly submit to it and try to live that out. How can I know if I'm meek that you... You'll make peace. How can I know if I'm meek? You choose to make peace. Those who are meek forgive. Those who are meek are, are willing to forgive a, a hurt or a wrong. Th those who are, are meek restore others. They help other people be whole and right in their relationships with God and other people. Those who are meek make peace. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3 says, We are to be characterized by lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Only meek people make peace and preserve unity. And that's God's desire. God's desire is that we are at peace, first of all, with Him, and secondly, as a, with mankind. Love God and love people. Make peace and choose unity. How can I know if I'm meek? You'll receive criticism well. Husband and wife says, hey, sit down, I got to talk. 
What happens? Do your defenses come up or do you have a humble, meek spirit that says, okay, I'm going to have to listen? Your boss says, hey, I need to talk about your job performance or talk about what's been going on. Do your defenses go up or is it, hey, let me stop and listen? Or your preacher or your elder or your, or your small group leader says, hey, let's talk about something. I've noticed in your life that maybe you need to be working on because it doesn't quite align with Scripture. Do you receive that or do you get defensive about it? A meek person receives criticism well. Lastly, a meek person... Be gentle in instructing other people. See, there's a difference between taking this right here and using it as a tool to beat people up and come and smack people alongside the head or to humbly and gently sit down with people who are your friends, your family, people that you can interact with and say, hey, can we talk about God's Word? And be gentle. And 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. I've never known someone to come to Jesus or someone make changes when someone comes with the God's word as a hammer. But when we come gently and kindly and patiently showing people God's way, that's when people come around and want to do things God's way is when we are gentle with how we handle God's word. Meekness. It's power under control. It shows itself when you seek to defend God and not defend yourself. It results in blessing and, and inheriting the earth. It characterizes every true believer because it accompanies salvation. It's commanded by God. It's needed for receiving and communicating His Word. It glorifies Him. We, we need to examine ourselves. We need to stop sometimes and examine ourselves and say, what I'm standing upon... Am I standing upon the rock or am I standing upon the sand? And that's what Jesus is giving us. He gives, he's giving us points of examination. Look, look at the text in Matthew chapter 7 in your Bible. Just one more time as I close. Because everything drives back to this that Jesus closes out with. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus asked the question, are you building your house upon the rock? That's meekness. Building your house upon the sand? I'd say that's pride. Where are you at today? What's the call of Christ in your life? Are, are you somewhere in the middle? You feel like, hey, some days I'm choosing meekness, some days I'm, I'm not. Kind of bouncing back and forth. Lord Jesus says, you want to build your life upon something that will stand? Choose meekness. Heavenly Father.